Well, if you're like me, when you suffer and when you go through difficult seasons, plural, seasons of life, you can begin to feel and act and start living as if you were an orphan, as if you don't have a heavenly father who is caring for you every single day, as if you haven't been adopted into God's forever family. Do you ever do that? Do you ever live as if you are an orphan and not a son or daughter of God? I do. And that's why Jesus said these words in John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the way that Jesus came again to the disciples is through the Holy Spirit. Jesus will go on to say in John 14 that he was sending the helper, sending the Holy Spirit. That's how he would come to them, through the Holy Spirit. So aren't those words of Jesus in John 14, 18 so comforting? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Listen, in case you're wondering why John 14, 18 is in the Bible, it's in the Bible for Benji Magnus. That's why it's in there. I need that verse as a banner over my life because I can very easily slip into thinking and acting like an orphan, especially when I suffer, especially when I go through seasons of hardship and trials and unwanted circumstances. But what does that look like practically? How do you know when you're starting to act like an orphan? Well, here's how you can tell. Orphans have to take care of themselves. Orphans must be strong. Orphans must protect themselves from being taken advantage of. Orphans cannot depend on anyone. Orphans cannot be weak. Orphans crave to be taken in and loved, but doubt they ever will. Orphans want to be accepted and to belong. Orphans only trust themselves. Orphans cannot get too close. Orphans are on the outside looking in. We act like orphans when we live life as if everything is up to us. When we live as if the Holy Spirit never came. When we go through the day thinking that it is up to us to figure out and to solve all of our problems. So it's just so easy to act like an orphan, isn't it? It's very easy for all of us to fall back into our built-in orphan mentality where we start believing the lies of the devil that we have been abandoned by God and that he does not care about us and that he's not listening to our prayers. And we especially do this when we suffer, when we groan, when we feel the burdens of life. And so here's how it happens. When you forget that your identity is in Christ and you start acting like an orphan, you begin to feel alone in everything. You become anxious about your needs Money, health, relationships, you begin to feel condemned and you have this ever-nagging sense of guilt or this ever-nagging sense of shame and you become defensive 
boy, who doesn't do that? Become defensive about everything. And you always have to be right. And you live in the fear of man. And you try so hard to please everybody. And you're unable to tolerate criticism. And you compare yourself with others. And you're ungrateful. And you complain. And you're bitter. And deep down, if you can get real and face what's in your heart, you might even be angry with God. Now think about this. If we do all of those things on our good days, when things are going seemingly well, how much more do we do it when we suffer? When life is confusing? When God allows things that we don't understand? So it's just so easy to act like an orphan when you suffer. And that's why the Apostle Paul frequently connects the giving of the Holy Spirit with our suffering. Paul sees a connection between our adoption into God's family and our suffering. And that's why when Paul brings up suffering, he often either brings up the Holy Spirit or our adoption as sons or both. Like in Romans chapter 8. We'll read it again, Romans 8, to 25. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. See, he's brought the Spirit up as he's talking about suffering. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So, so he's bringing up our identity in Christ as he's talking about suffering. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And that's what Paul does in our passage today. He connects the Holy Spirit with our suffering. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is still talking about suffering. What I want you to do, if you're a right in your Bible kind of person, write John 14 next to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5. And that's kind of the angle that we're going to approach our passage today, is that we are not orphans. We have not been abandoned by God because he has given us his spirit. So we're going to connect John 14, what Jesus said in John 14, with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 today. So just consider them roommates, okay? So John 14 and 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 have now got this apartment together, okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul will now move on to the biggest suffering of all, death. Death is the ultimate form of suffering that we can experience. And as Paul talks about the ultimate form of suffering, death, he immediately brings up the Holy Spirit. When Paul talks about death here, he has to bring the Holy Spirit into the conversation. And when Paul talks about death, he also brings up God's generosity. Now think about that. When Paul starts talking about death here, he's going to bring up God's generosity. Why does he do that? Answer, because Paul wants us to know that even when we faced our fiercest enemy, death, we can trust our Father in heaven because he has given us his spirit. And therefore, we are not alone. We're not alone even in death. 
And so the good news is that even in death, we will not be abandoned as orphans and the gift of the Holy Spirit from God the Father guarantees that. And so today, Paul wants to tell us, when you groan, you are not alone. And when you feel that burden, you are not an orphan. Christian, when you groan in this life and you experience suffering and hardship and you scratch your head wondering what in the world your God is up to, you are not alone as you experience those things. And when you feel that heavy burden and you are weighed down with all the pressures of life, you are not an orphan in that moment. You have not been abandoned. The Holy Spirit is with you. He is in you. In fact, He is interceding for you. Every groan and every ache and every pain that we experience in our bodies becomes an opportunity for us to remember our adoption into God's family. Every single burden, every single weight becomes an opportunity to remember that you have been given the Spirit of God. And remembering all of that just might keep you from going crazy when life is crazy. And it just might keep you from losing your mind when everything seems lost. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So Paul continues his train of thought here in chapter 5. He's still talking about what he was talking about in chapter 4, how we are wasting away physically, how we should look at eternal things and not the temporary transient things of this world. And so Paul is saying that if our tents, if our mortal bodies are destroyed when we die, he says, then we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So when Paul says we have a building from God, he's talking about our future glorified, resurrected bodies that await us on the new earth. But before we start talking about that, let's not rush past those two words in verse 1, from God. Let those two words from God remind you how generous your God is. We have a building, a house from God. Our new resurrected bodies are a gift from God. We haven't earned them. We don't deserve them. They are simply a gift from God. Let me ask you, when's the last time you thought about that? As you ache and as you groan and you're like, I can't wait for my glorified body. And we do that and we should do that. But when's the last time you said, I'm aching and I just can't wait for my new glorified body. And it's a gift to me from God. God is so generous. He is going to resurrect these bodies right here. And he's going to make them brand new. What a gift. No more bad eyesight, no more backaches, 
no more pain, and no more sin. Wow, I cannot wait. Can you imagine never sinning? Can you imagine being in the body that you have right now, and it's made new, and you never sin again? It's hard to fathom, isn't it? Because it's all we know. But we will all experience that kind of resurrected, never going to sin again life. And Paul calls it a gift from God. Oh, how generous our God is. And so Paul is contrasting the earthly with the heavenly here. He's contrasting the temporary with the eternal, the tent with the building, the all we do is sin all the time bodies, and I should say, and all we do is ache in these kind of bodies, and he's contrasting that with, I can't believe it, but we're never going to sin again bodies. I can't believe it, but I'm never going to have pain again bodies. And when Paul describes our new bodies as a building, He's not talking about some mansion in heaven. He's simply talking about our new, resurrected, glorified bodies. Now, Paul says, we live in a tent. Chapter 4, he called it a jar of clay. But we are awaiting resurrection, and we will receive a building, Paul says, from God. But why does Paul use a tent to describe our bodies? Well, what do you do with the tent? You set it up, you take it down. It's temporary, right? You don't live in a tent, but a building, on the other hand, is permanent. So Paul is saying is, is that when we continually waste away outwardly until death finally comes, Paul says we're showing that these bodies are temporary. All of our wasting away that we've looked at over the last several weeks proves that these bodies are Temp- this version of these bodies are temporary, but our new resurrected bodies will be glorified and they will last forever because they are eternal. But until that day, Paul says two times in verses 2 and 4, he says, we groan in this body, don't we? We groan. Life is full of groanings. How many of you groaned when you got out of bed this morning? How many, when you got out of bed and your feet hit the ground, you went, oh. How many of you woke up and you just groaned and made noises like Jabba the Hutt or some creature from Star Wars? All the moans and the groans when you get out of bed or when you got out of your car to come in here this morning or when you get up from your couch or when you sit down after singing at church. You ever do that? You've been standing for four songs and you sit down. It's been like... What, 17, 18 minutes, and you sit down, and you're like, ah. And we can't even make it through four songs, and we're already groaning. All of that is just 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2 stuff. It's you agreeing with Paul that in this tent, we groan, longing for our heavenly dwelling, longing for our new bodies, longing for the new creation. I think too often when we groan, we don't think about the future We get stuck and focused on the here and now. And so our groaning can kind of take precedence over our lives. But the Holy Spirit who lives inside these clay jars, He makes us long for what is to come. He makes us long to receive the house or the home, as Paul says, that our Heavenly Father has in store for us. Tim Chester, in his book, Enjoying God, explains it this way. He says, The Spirit makes us long for the new creation because He makes us think of it as home. 
Think what happens as the Spirit testifies to us that we are God's children, that God the Father is our Father. Our home changes. Home for us is no longer this passing world. Now home is God's coming world. Home is where our family is. At the moment, that's heaven. But one day, heaven and earth will be reunited in a new creation in which God makes his dwelling. Our experience of sonship makes us long for more. It adds to every pain, every sin, and every loss a sense of longing. We know there's more to come. And so we groan, Paul says here. We groan because we are sons and daughters who are longing for home. We're homesick for the world to come. We groan now And the Spirit makes us long for the new creation. So remember that when you groan, you are not alone. And when you feel that burden, you are not an orphan. You have the Holy Spirit. And God has graciously given him to you. Well, let's look at verse 3. Paul continues... If indeed by putting it on, the new body, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul is saying here, this putting on the new is the new glorified body. And he says, when we do that, we will no longer be naked. Then, Paul says, he doesn't want to be unclothed. What he means is that when he dies, his spirit will go be with Jesus in heaven, but his body will remain on the earth and slowly rot and decay. That's what it means to be unclothed that Paul talks about here. That's what it means to be naked. It means that to be with Jesus is your spirit goes to be with Jesus when you die, but your body remains here in the ground. So when Paul says that he wants to be further clothed, he means that he doesn't want his spirit to be separated from his body. We're going to talk about this more next week because that's not natural to have your spirit separated from your body. But when you die, that happens. Your spirit goes to be with Jesus and your body stays here. So Paul doesn't want his spirit to be separated from his body because that's not how God made human beings. So when Paul dies, his spirit goes to be with Jesus, but his body stays behind. And while his spirit is with Jesus, Paul says, I'm going to feel naked when I'm there, if you will. Because he's longing for his spirit to be reunited with his body. But that reunion won't happen until that final day when Jesus returns and resurrects Paul's body and then reunites his spirit with his body. So Paul wants his spirit and body to be reunited and glorified in resurrection. That's what Paul means when he says, we want to be further clothed. Now, if Paul could have his way, he would remain alive until Jesus returned, and then instantaneously his body would be transformed into a glorious body. But if Paul dies, his spirit goes to be with Jesus, but his body remains behind. And that's what he means. He says, that moment, I will be unclothed. I will be naked because my spirit and body are separated. And to die and be with Jesus, as Paul says in Philippians 1, is far better than being in 
in this sin-wrecked earth, right? So if you have to choose, how many of you would like to go be with Jesus right now? Okay? It's better than being here, isn't it? Right? We don't want to be here. We're tired of groaning. We're burning. We're tired of sinning. We're tired of drama and pain, all of that. We're tired of We just want to be with Jesus. But if you die, and Paul just wanted to be with Jesus, but far better than remaining behind on this earth is to go be with Jesus, which is what Paul wanted. But when you leave your body behind and your spirit goes to be with Jesus, far better than that, as glorious as that is, far better than your spirit being with Jesus, your body being in the ground, far better than that is your spirit that's with Jesus being reunited with a new glorified resurrected body. That's better. Now, we want to go be with Jesus, and that will be glorious. And somehow, in that moment of just bliss and joy and awe, we're like with our Savior. But somehow, I think we're going to be like, like, where's my body? Like, like, this is great, Jesus, but salvation isn't complete yet until I'm back on the new earth. So there's going to be some sense in which we're just overwhelmed with joy, but also in the back of our head saying, I still want my new body. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's saying here. Far better than just your spirit being with Jesus while your body is in the grave is having your spirit reunited with your new resurrected glorified body and then to be with Jesus forever on the new earth. This is Paul, what Paul means when he says in verse 4 that we would be further clothed, that our spirit would be further clothed with our glorified bodies so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So, to wrap it up, to be naked in this text here means that your spirit is with Jesus when you die while your body sits in the grave. And to be further clothed means that your spirit is then reunited with your body in resurrection. And that's what Paul wants. He wants to be further clothed. If he had his way, he would just, Jesus would come back and he would be changed in an instant. To be with Jesus on the new earth, body and spirit, Reunited in resurrection is the hope of the Christian faith. And that's what Paul fully expects to happen. And here's the reason why. Because God is a generous God. Understanding how generous and lavish God is with his gifts gives Paul hope for the future. I mean, isn't that interesting? Paul's thinking about the future. Eschatology. And he's connecting that with God's generosity. When's the last time you had an in, a discussion about the end times, how everything's going to turn out? Pre-mill, post-mill, dispensational, all-millennial, uh, historic pre-mill, all the others. When's the last time you had an eschatology discussion and you brought up God's generosity? That's what Paul does here. Look at verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing who has, is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Paul knows that all of history, whatever your end time position is, is moving toward God giving us resurrected bodies that he has prepared for us. So when you have discussions about the end times, don't leave out how generous God is in preparing the new creation for us. We should walk away from eschatology discussions, even if we disagree with someone, and we usually do, don't we? And we should walk away thinking, wow, God is so generous. What wonderful gifts he gives. He has prepared the new creation for knuckleheads 
like us. And so Paul fully expects to be further clothed in resurrection because God is the one behind it all. God will bring about a resurrected body for Paul and the proof he has given his Holy Spirit to live within us as a guarantee, Paul says. This word guarantee we saw earlier in 2 Corinthians 1.22. It means that the Holy Spirit is the present deposit or the initial installment or the down payment, if you will, of the believer's future inheritance. So remember that when you suffer and when you groan. Remember that God has prepared all kinds of incredible, wonderful, breathtaking things for you on the new earth. As I said earlier, Paul often connects the Holy Spirit with our adoption as children of God and our groanings. For instance, Romans 8.15, Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So, if you wrote John 14 next to 2 Corinthians 5.5, write Romans 8.15 there. Because now, 2 Corinthians 5 and John 14 have a new roommate, Romans 8. So these passages are all living together under the same roof. Commenting on Romans 8.15, to quote Tim Chester again, he says this, By the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The word translated cry is a strong word. It's not a gentle or affectionate word to be softly spoken. It's a cry for help. That's the... Abba, that's what the Abba Father cry is. A desperate cry for help that makes a father come running. Every groan becomes an invitation to whisper, Father. Every groan you utter from the sigh you make getting out of a chair to the aching void of bereavement is an invitation to enjoy the hope of the Spirit. And so every groan that we experience in these J, uh, J. Clars, <laughs> these J. Clars, these clay jars. I even typed J. Clars this week as I was working on this, and I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Every groan that we experience in these jars of clay are an opportunity for us to whisper and to cry out, Abba, Father, Father. Every burden, every hurt, every trial, every form of suffering becomes another opportunity to enjoy the Spirit, to rely upon Him. And to cry out to our Heavenly Father. To cry out and say something like, Father, I need wisdom in this situation. Father, I feel like I'm not growing spiritually. I'm just like in a rut. Father, I'm being tempted to that sin. Help me. Father, I'm doubting my salvation. Father, my heart is breaking. Father, I feel like you've left me all alone. Father, I don't know why what has happened has happened. Father, come quickly and make all things new. And when you cry out, Abba, Father, and when you begin your prayers with Heavenly Father, you are just confessing your adoption in Christ. Did you know that? Every time you pray and you say, Heavenly Father, in that moment you are confessing your adoption into God's family. Confessing your adoption in Christ. You are just confessing in that moment that God is your father. You are confessing that Jesus is your older brother. You are confessing that the Holy Spirit is in you. 
all when you just begin your prayers by saying, Heavenly Father. And that means when you groan, you are not alone. When you feel that burden, you are not an orphan. You are confessing that you belong to the family of God and that the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at work in your life and at work in your heart. You're confessing that you are God's child. And so for those of us who are trusting in Jesus alone for righteousness, who are trusting in his finished work on the cross, we are the sons and daughters of God. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Are you here today? Have you turned from your sins and turned to Jesus and said, you're my only hope, you're my only escape out of eternity in hell? If you have not done that today, come on home. The Father is waiting for you. His arms are wide open. He said, come on home. Will you repent today? Will you trust in Christ? For those of us who have, We are his sons and daughters now. We're not just redeemed from sins. We are now received as sons. So many Christians struggle with this. I struggle with this. We affirm that we are redeemed from our sins. But we struggle to believe that we are received as sons. That the welcoming heart of God is there to say, I receive you as my son. And so when we doubt his love, and we doubt his care for us, we functionally act like orphans who don't have the Spirit. And Paul tells us in verse 5, God has given us his Spirit as a down payment, a guarantee. And when we act like orphans in that moment, we're forgetting, I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. Jesus said he was going to send the Spirit, that I wouldn't be an orphan. So when we forget that, when we start acting like orphans, we forget we have the Spirit, we forget we have a Heavenly Father. And then we go back to the orphanage, to those places that are familiar to us. Listen, when you doubt God's love and care for you, in that moment you are saying, I have no father. I have no home. I'm an orphan. I'm unloved. Nobody wants me. I don't have the spirit. I'm not adopted. So let me ask you this morning, have you been acting like a scared orphan or a secure son? Do you functionally exist in your life as an orphan or as a son? Here's what it looks like. You function like an orphan when you worry about and doubt God's love and care for you. The son or daughter rests in God the Father's never-ending love. Listen, orphans worry. Sons trust. You know you're acting like an orphan when you worry. When you, when you bite your fingernails down to the elbow, that's when you know you're acting like an orphan. When you pace the floor all night, when you toss in bed, when you can't eat, you're acting like an orphan. Orphans worry, but sons trust. They trust their father's words. Remember, one of the reasons that Paul writes to the Corinthian church is that they were being tempted to go back under the Mosaic law, to come up with this own righteousness. Remember, the super apostles were saying that? 
The Corinthians were worrying that they needed to do something to earn forgiveness, to earn grace. And they were being pressured by the super apostles, these false teachers, to come back under the old covenant and prove themselves to be sons or daughters by their good behavior. Come back under the law and obey, and then you can be justified. And so they were functioning like orphans, not sons, who were already justified and already qualified for the inheritance because of Jesus. And you function, and I function like an orphan when our relationship with God is seen through the lens of success and failure. The son or daughter rests in the truth that they are absolutely loved, absolutely forgiven, absolutely welcomed by, and absolutely cherished by God. Orphans focus and obsess on their failures, but sons rest in Jesus' righteousness, that imputed righteousness, that forensic righteousness that is declared over us, Orphans just, they, they look through life through success or failure. If they feel like they're doing good, if they're doing, then they feel good about themselves. And when they feel like they're being bad, they're not living up, they keep sinning, then they focus on their failures. The orphan, oh, this one stings. The orphan is defensive when accused of error or weakness. Man, who doesn't struggle with that? I know I do. The orphan is defensive when accused of error or weakness. It's amazing how easy I get defensive. But the son or daughter is open to criticism because they rest in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Orphans can't handle criticism. Sons have God's favor so they don't fear what people think of them, even if the criticism is true. Don't we all struggle with this? Yikes. Orphans can't handle criticism of any kind. Sons have God's favor. They don't fear what people think of them. Even if the criticism is true, they know what God thinks about them. The orphan is a competent analyst of other people's sins and failures and weaknesses. And that the son or daughter is able to freely confess their faults to one another because they know that no matter what, they're loved by their heavenly father. Orphans focus on other people's sins. Sons and daughters freely confess their sins. Let me ask you to consider what's been going on in that little heart of yours lately. Are you acting like a scared orphan or a secure son? Do you really believe that God stands with arms wide open, always allowing you free access to his presence? Or do you view God as a cranky father with arms crossed and a frown on his face? Here's how you can tell if you're functioning as an orphan. These things are true of you. You feel alone. You're anxious over your needs, whether that's money, health, relationships, You feel condemned all the time, guilty, you're defensive, you want to be right, you live in the fear of man, you try so hard to please everybody, you're unable to tolerate criticism, you compare yourself with others, you're ungrateful, you complain, you're bitter, and you're angry, 
with God. Listen, Christian, whatever is happening in your life, you are not alone. You are not an orphan. You have a Father in heaven, and He is everywhere working in and through everything that is happening in your life to bring you good. So you can take a deep breath right now, and you can cast all your cares on Jesus right now because He really cares for you. And He cares for you so much, He's going to resurrect you one day. One day, all of the 2 Corinthians 5, 4, we groan being burdened stuff, one day that will be over. One day groaning will be a thing of the past. So take heart today. If you're a Christian, you are not an orphan. You are not alone. You have not been abandoned by God. You are not facing anything in your life alone. Jesus is with you. And the Holy Spirit is is inside you. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. I'll highlight that verse. He has gifted us His Spirit. I love it. Here's my Spirit. Take Him. You can have them all. I'm not stingy. God's not stingy with His Spirit. You have all of the third person of the Trinity living inside of you, Christian. It may seem like you've been abandoned because of things happening in your life, but you haven't. You may not understand why what is happening is happening in your life, but you can trust Him. You may not be getting your prayers answered the way you want, but you can trust your Heavenly Father. After all, He gave you His Spirit. And that's exactly what Jesus meant when He said in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You can believe every syllable of that when you suffer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for his life and death, resurrection and ascension. We long for his return. We groan. We are burdened. But thank you that you've given us your spirit. Thank you for the hope that we have. The hope of the Christian faith, Lord, is that one day this very hard life will be a faint memory because it will be nothing but joy and gladness forever and ever and ever. Until that day, Lord, help us to trust your promises. Help us to reach out to our neighbors and love them. Help us to share the hope of the gospel. May you be glorified in our lives and in this church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.